If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Hi, Tina. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast. How are you? Thank you, Wendy. I'm very happy to be here with you today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Why don't we start off by you telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. My pleasure. So I am a nurse who got into nursing through an untraditional path. I was actually um, a middle school, middle school educator for about four years. I taught math in Jersey City, New Jersey. And then after my mother-in-law was ill um, and hospitalized and then rehabilitated, uh, since I had the summers off, I was the available family member to be there with her. And that time together with her in the hospital and then through her rehabilitation really kind of reawoke my passion for healthcare and kind of combined both, you know, my love of learning and teaching with science. Um, And so I went back to school and became a nurse. And here we are 16 years later, although I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good thing is you're a nurse, so you can do and be anything, right? That's the, that the beauty the of the, the profession. Yeah. Yeah. Are you feeling stressed or overwhelmed in your personal or professional life? If like so many of us, the answer is yes. Register for the free stress solution series to learn how to craft your very own personalized stress blueprint on March 28th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Secure your spot at www.stresssolutionseries.com. Yeah, I was just talking to some uh, UConn students today and I was telling them the same thing. I said, you pick one of the best careers on the planet, you know, to, to be a nurse. So, yeah, yeah we so actually have, you- um, sorry, we have central students that come on site as well here. And that was the same conversation I was having with them today about, yeah, there's, there's an open world to you for how you want to evolve as a nurse, as a professional nurse. And it's continuing to evolve, you know, like the nurse informatics, the health equity. I mean, that for me, I think that's where we're going to go next, you know, having nursing really at the forefront of health equity. So, and that's, that's where I'm passionate. So that's what I'm looking forward to. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how did you start your nursing journey? You went back to school, you graduated, and then what? Yeah. So I um, 
had to do some of the prereqs because my first um, undergraduate degree didn't have all the sciences. So I did other prereqs. I actually went to a couple of the community colleges here in Connecticut, Capital and Tunxis, um, and then did UConn's accelerated one-year program. Um, at that point, I could have stayed for the second year to get my master's, um, but I was like, I have been in school for two years, was a newlywed. I wanted to, you know, actually bring some income back into the family, but also wanted experience. So I went um, into work and I was actually very fortunate to go right into an operating room um, in a community hospital here in Connecticut. And, um, you know, was there in that setting for about four years and just really love the technical aspect of it. Uh, plus the individualization where thankfully I only had a one-to-one -one ratio versus in med surge where you don't always have, you know, the four to, four to one or six to one, you know, sometimes it's more than that. So I really love kind of being there with the anatomy, um, really kind of helping with the instrumentation and as well as all the other um, technology that's now in the operating rooms and really coordinating with ambulatory and recovery nursing to and transition our patients through their care. Yeah, so that's very interesting because you know in nursing school everyone's always like, oh, you have to do med surge, and you went into the OR. So yeah. for you know our aspiring nurses listening, what's your take in retrospect now looking back? Do you think med surge was necessary, or was it okay to go into a specialty such as the OR right out of school? I, I definitely, again, I think it depends on your learning style and your level of comfort. I definitely am never afraid to jump feet first into, into the unknown. So because of that, I was very comfortable going straight into the OR. Um, what was challenging for me was at that time, unfortunately, there was no designated educator, nor did the organization have the ARN PERIAP 101 training program. So I, again, had to just jump in and kind of figure it out with my preceptor and my nurse manager of how I was going to be trained. Um, fortunately, after that and with the ongoing, you know, challenges with nursing and filling positions, especially in some of the specialty positions, there's a lot of programs now available that they are thankfully hiring new grads into some residency programs for some of these specialties. So definitely, again, if that's of your interest, ensuring that you have the right support and, and um, systems in place that can help you navigate that. Um, but I wouldn't change my experience at all. I really am grateful for how I've been able to progress. Yes, and you mentioned residency programs. Can you speak a little more about that just in case people don't really know what that is? Absolutely, and it's something I think it's very innovative but also necessary. Um, but basically as a new grad, you apply to be part of a nurse residency program where it's you and a cohort of other new grads that get assigned um, you know, to a unit, uh, have a preceptor, but then you also have time off the unit to work with educators directly on certain themes, certain skills. Um, and it's kind of that ongoing professional development that is really focused and tailored to kind of the group's assessments and the group's Baseline, baseline assessment and needs to really ensure that at the end of your resident program, you are really, you know, um, fully capable of being an independent nurse on, on the floors. Yeah, I was actually part of Middlesex uh, residency program, and I thought it was the best thing yeah. because you kind of like it's like a bridge between like school and being thrown into the workforce. So that and I really love Middlesex. It's a magnet hospital. So um yeah, it was a really, really good experience. Um, so 
I know, well, I want you to tell them what you do now and how you moved from bedside to boss. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. Actually, one of my one of my direct reports is always calling me boss lady. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, you know, it's taken me uh, probably 12 years to evolve to this position. Um, But I, as an OR nurse, um, was really always um, passionate about um, safety um, and ensuring that my my internal learner is always looking to do things better. So I was um, working with quality and doing some process improvement projects at the time when the skip measures came out, we, they needed some frontline nurses to really kind of examine the measures and to provide feedback as to where are opportunities and where, where are we doing okay. Um, so again, me being the eager learner I am was always you know volunteering for those types of situations. Um, that led me to then transition into a performance improvement specialist position, which at the time really just worked better for my work-life balance. Um, as an OR nurse and then as the OR manager, you know, I had to do call. Um, and particularly if there was call-outs, you know, I would have to be included in the rotation to cover. So when I had two little, two little infants with a husband who traveled a lot for work with no additional family support. It was difficult trying to manage call. Like there were times where I would sleep over at the time with just one infant, a friend's house, because I was on call. And if I got called in, thankfully she would stay with my child and then take him into daycare the next morning while I was still in the case. So that was not a sustainable model for us. So that's why I was really grateful for the opportunity for the administrative side of nursing. Um, but then I was still able to kind of learn other specialties because then I was working with the entire hospital nursing staff and then eventually the system because the hospital had a nursing home. They had some outpatient settings as well as ambulance um, EMS. So I um, eventually, again, very curious and very eager, um, got involved in quality and regulatory. And so then I was promoted to um, a regulatory manager. And then kind of just really followed my heart and passion of what's best, again, for me uh, for continued growth, but then also for that kind of work-life balance and also that hard decision of, yeah, I'm not liking how things are right now. And at the end of the day, I need to be happy with who I'm looking at in the mirror and know that I'm going to sleep doing the right thing and, and working with a team that's committed to that. So I transitioned to a couple different other opportunities. Um, And again, just really, really um, can't stress enough. Don't hesitate to look at those um, opportunities where you feel like you're not qualified because you are and never, never not apply because you don't feel like you hit every one of those job requirements. You do. So just apply. It does not hurt to apply. You know, I have my um, nursing portfolio. It's this big binder that I bring in everywhere with me of all my accomplishments um, and that's usually a game changer. When I come into an interview with that portfolio, they're like, wow, this, this is unique. This is different. Not everybody brings that in. Um, and a lot of times they're asking for copies or they want to share it with other team members. So kind of just, again, bringing that um, proactiveness and, and being, you know, your, your best cheerleader, like you are your best advocate. And so just always speaking up for yourself is how I've been able to continue to grow. Um, And then in my most recent role, I am the vice president of nursing for Wheeler Clinic, 
It's a federally qualified health center here in Connecticut with five primary care locations. But when I started with the organization back in July of 2019, I was the senior director of quality and infection control. So again, along my journey of kind of the administrative side of it um, and me being the eternal learner I am, I'm certified in infection control. I'm certified in patient safety. I'm certified in healthcare risk management. So at the time, the role was perfect. It, it was giving me a reprieve from the big healthcare system that I was at prior. And really that, no, I can't sustain 80 hours a work week like mm-hmm. anymore. Um, plus it gave me uh, something that had been missing, which was that integrated um, care with mental health and, and medical and nursing um, and primary care is where um, I'm at now focusing on. But the fact that I get to collaborate with behavioral health and psychiatric professionals for our population, that was just like, the, it's nirvana for me. I just love it. Um, and so um, there was a change in, org- in the organization leadership, and they had evaluation of knowing that the leadership at the time wasn't functional. There was just one, um, basically, leader over five sites, and nobody could be successful in running um, five different, basically, big units, right, um, by themselves. So there was this realization that needed to be different structure. And thankfully they created this role and I was promoted into it. And that was right before the pandemic, but I've been, I've been in this role ever since, since March of 2020. That is amazing. And one constant thing that I hear is that you are hungry for knowledge, hungry for more, and, and you use everything as a stepping stone and the whole innovation that you mentioned. I, th- I think that that is so important as a nurse is to, yeah, you meet things one way, but when you leave, it should never be the same because we are innovative. And that's why they stress the critical thinking piece of what we do. Um, and the portfolio is a genius nugget. <laughs> I think for experienced and aspiring nurses, you should definitely uh, keep some sort of portfolio. I, I was thinking about like your brand, right? That's like your your brand. You have your brand in that book and this is what differentiates you because no one's really doing that. So I love that. Um, I love that. I love that suggestion. Um, and, and as the VP, do you hire? I do. Yeah. So what do you look for in a candidate when they're sitting across your desk? And, you know, you hear people say it's not about, you know, um, the experience is more about kind of the fit um, and and knowing that you're going to have a team player. And that is definitely what I look for. I look for somebody who has the same drive and commitment as me, who has that same thirst for wanting to do more, that same hunger, um, but who's also... Um, able to understand that there's opportunities, um, both, you know, for us as individuals, but then also as a team. Um, And I'm always transparent and transparent in my interviews. I let them know we have problems, like we have opportunities. This is not the grass is green on this side. But the difference is that we're a much unified team, much more unified team now. There's definitely open communication, right? Prior to me coming into this role, people were afraid to speak up. Um, so thankfully, with our collective leadership, um, as well as I feel with my leadership and then my um, direct super, um, reports, my nursing supervisors, 
we've definitely kind of created that environment where we want everybody to feel safe for speaking up. Um, and so we definitely, I definitely want to ensure that people um, are going to be able to become able to speak up, who are going to be able to contribute um, their recommendations, and who are really, you know, committed to our population and our mission. Because Wheeler, as an FQHC, and because of the whole mental health and primary um, health, um, it's a unique population we serve. So I really need that passion for our population as well. So those are kind of the big things we, I look for. Awesome. And what about people knowing about your organization? We have a lot of nurses who are graduating soon. What are some nuggets? Like if they are, you know, going for an interview at an institution like yours, what are some expectations that you have about, you know, knowing about the organization, your mission? Yeah, yeah, definitely do your homework, right? And nowadays everything's on LinkedIn. So <laughs> do, do your research, look at that company webpage, look at some of their press releases, Look at people's LinkedIn, see where they've been, see what some of their interests are, see what some of their posts are, right? Because these are people, we're people. You want to connect with us to make us, um, for you to stand out, for us to feel like that warm and fuzzy relationship um, that we can develop with you. I definitely always um, am very um, happy to see when applicants come with questions. You know, come ask me some good questions. Come ask me some hard questions, right? Um, and then also my little kind of um, gold star is when um, they asked me what I want from them if they were to be the successful candidate, you know, so I always love it. And it's very rare that you get people to ask that question. But when they say, so what is it that you want from me in the immediate short term and then, you know, long term? And I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this, is, this is my candidate. We're speaking my language. We're on the same wavelength this is going to be a good fit. That is awesome. I love that. And those are some great nuggets. So I hope anyone who's listening, whether you're a new nurse or experienced nurse, you need to be writing this down. So So I do want to hit on the pandemic. Like you started your role in 2019 and then of course uh, COVID hit 2020. How has that experience been for you as a leader? Like just personally, professionally, and then leading, you know, your direct reports. Yeah, yeah. Uh, professionally, again, like everybody else, we were building the plane as we were trying to fly, uh, fly it. Um, you know, I thankfully, our organization started with some of our meetings back in January of 2020. Um, so as stirrings were coming out uh, in December and early January, we started doing some more um pandemic response meetings, and then we just went into kind of um, response mode um, February. And thankfully, our organization is very nimble so that we were able to convert to telehealth over a weekend. Um, And I'm very proud of the fact that we didn't furlough or lay off anybody during the, you know, the height of that first wave. Um, and that we were able to, you know, actually open up two new sites over the last two years during the pandemic. So professionally, it was really about collaborating with leadership, but more importantly, with the front line, you know, understanding what their fears were, what their concerns were, what they needed in terms of information, education, resources to provide them with the support necessary to take care of our patients and clients. And I was in scrubs the whole time. I was there elbow to elbow with everybody. You know, when we started our COVID testing, I was the first COVID tester. 
Um, so I was out there. And then once, um, you know, I kind of worked out all the protocol and, and um, documentation nuances, then we trained everybody else and then it became a shared responsibility. Um, so I thankfully have been very lucky to be very hands-on with my team and work with them collaboratively. So, and, and I think that's really helped us. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we did win the Connecticut Nursing Association Excellence of Team Award for 2021. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank congratulations. you. And again, it's just, that's just a great reflection of the commitment, the collaboration, the teamwork that we have first to each other as team members, but then of, of course, to our communities. Um, personally, we are still recovering from COVID. I'm sure as many of us are. Um, you know, I really was working, you know, thankfully primary care, we're only open eight to six. So <laughs> I, I, it's not 24 seven, like those of you who are in acute care or long-term. Um, but, you know, I was, I was up at, I was out at seven and sometimes I didn't come home until seven. So it was long days. Um, definitely, you know, sprayed myself down, changed the, the clothes in the garage, went straight to the shower until we knew more information to protect the family. I was, I'm very fortunate that my husband is my rock, my foundation. He was at home with the three kids for that first initial lockdown, you know, doing projects and taking them out, keeping them entertained. And then as remote schooling started, he was the one at home, you know, helping them navigate all that because I couldn't be, I had to be out. Um, and then when I came home, thankfully, you know, I didn't have to worry about dinner or the other stuff because that was taken care of. So that really helped. But with that, you know, having three kids, some of, two of them who are teenagers, which is a difficult time in and of itself, but add the, the isolation from the pandemic, you know, we've had some struggles, you know, and now thankfully many of us are in therapy. You know, I am using my EAP benefit from work. My husband and I are going through our couples therapy. My kids are in their therapy, um, you know, and there should be no fear or stigma associated with that. You know, it's there for a reason. We, it, life is hard. Work is hard. Our relationships are hard. So you need to have that support and resources to help you ensure that um, you're okay, first and foremost, so that then you can take care of, you know, your, your family and then, you know, do your work. So thankfully, you know, this last year has been better. Um, and, you know, we're just really now looking forward to moving forward, you know, starting to plan vacations again, looking forward to the summer, to having family come up again. Um, and, you know, and just continue to move on. You know, my, my oldest is going to be in the sweet 15. My daughter is graduating eighth grade. You know, my little one is excelling in first grade. So, you know, it's just the resiliency of the family and the kids is, is what also helps keep me going. That's amazing. I want to first say thank you for your transparency and thank you for your leadership. I mean, that servant leadership was just exemplified in the example you gave. And, you know, just kind of going back, you said, you know, your people that your nurse um, managers, the connection is so important. Mm -hmm. So when times of crisis hit, you still move as a team, right? which I, I really, really love that. I, I love that. And, and you're right. The whole stigma with mental mm -hmm. um, illness, we definitely need to normalize that conversation in nursing, in healthcare, encourage each other to use our EAP, right? Get a counselor, get a psychologist, psychiatrist, or whomever. Uh, mental health is just as important as your 
physical health. Um, and I know you're passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. So I, I would love to hear about how you talk about that in, in your professional realm and what advice would you have for new nurses entering the field? Because, you know, DE&I, racism are all things that we're talking about. The ANA just, uh, you know, released their survey results, um, which we talked about on this podcast, but I would love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. And actually for the DEI work, I also love to expand it to justice and belonging as well. Those are the other two components of it that I feel that aren't always mentioned or um, included in that conversation. Um, I, again, I'm very fortunate that Wheeler was very responsive. You know, after George's murder, George Floyd's murder, um, we met with our CEO, our diversity and inclusion team met with our CEO. And I remember this to this day. We met on a Friday uh, morning around 930. And she, you know, was like, what do I need to do? You know, how are you? What do you need? And what do I need to do? And so I made the, made the recommendation. I was like, we need a diversity officer. We need that position in the organization that's going to drive it to hold the, the organization accountable, to hold the executive leadership, the board, the staff, hold our mission, our strategic plan accountable to ensuring that we're always talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, and belonging. And Wendy, by um, 1.30, the position was approved by our board and posted online that gave me chills <laughs> that is <laughs> wow exactly talk wow. about responsiveness that that for me speaks volumes and and since we that was in um around the summertime we had our diversity officer hired in um september of 2020 and it's just been full speed ahead since yeah, we're working on a health equity plan. We've always had our class plan, uh, but now we're really working on our health equity plan. Um, we are ensuring that um, our data collection is accurate because uh, yeah, it's fundamental 101, garbage in, garbage out, right? If you don't have good data, you can't do any analysis or improvements. So that is where we're starting at. We've started some trainings last year um, and we're continuing them this year. Um, we have di di um, diversity, equity, inclusion basically embedded into every kind of strategic goal, always ensuring that it's part of that lens. Um, and, and thankfully, just continuing to advocate for, um, for those that don't have a voice who or who aren't allowed to use their voice um, or who aren't invited into the room. You know, that's, that's always what I'm asking. I was like, wait, before we have this conversation, who's supposed to be here that's not? And why aren't they? Let's get them in here. Um, and then also taking it back of like, all right, this is what we've talked about, but we need to get it back to everybody to ensure that they have a time to process and to provide their input. Yes, absolutely. I love that. I mean, Willa Clinic hits the nail right on the head. I mean, that's awesome. And I have a two-part question for you. So one is, what advice would you give to a nurse leader or a healthcare leader who feels a little uncomfortable talking about diversity, equity, inclusion? And what advice would you give to an aspiring nurse who's going in for an interview in terms of asking about that, the importance of asking about, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, you know, how it aligns with their mission and vision? Yeah. 
I would say for the first part, definitely it would depend on who you are, right? So as a person of color, it's going to have a different kind of impact than if you're an ally or a, a, a not a person of color. So definitely understanding kind of where your um, background is, what your lens is, um, but also to know, you know, if you are white, you have a privilege. You have, you know, um, I feel a responsibility to be speaking up and to being that ally to help promote diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, and belonging within your organization. And not to, you know, have that cyber conversation after the meeting. Oh, that was really uncomfortable. Oh, I wish that didn't happen. No, 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 no. Speak up in that meeting. That's where we need you to speak up. Um, and then as a person of color, the work is hard. It is hard. You know, your psychological safety is a paramount. You know, it is not your responsibility to go and save the organization from being racist. It is not. So the organization has to really have that commitment to recognize its opportunities, its vulnerabilities, where it needs to have support. Um, and if you're not getting that within your org, find your network where you are. Find there's a number of um, professional organizations that are out there. There's the Hispanic Nursing Association, the Black Nursing Association. There's chapters locally in Connecticut, um, as well as nationally. Um, LinkedIn, you know, there's a ton of groups out there. Um, there's this really powerful group, Overdue um, Reckoning, by Dr. Canty uh, from University of St. Joseph, um, who is just powerful. You know, there's definitely support out there for you if you are not getting that support in your, in your organization now. You are not alone. There are definitely um, nurses out there doing the fight who are going to be there to help support you. Um, and then as a candidate, definitely, it's one of my priority questions that I ask. You know, I always look to see if there's anything in the strategic goals about diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, belonging. They'll get bonus points if there's actually demographics that they publish with the board, there's like leadership. I'm still waiting to see if people start publishing salaries and all that stuff, but that's something that's coming. Um, but definitely asking in the interview, you know, what's the um, organizational goals on diversity, equity, inclusion, just and belonging, and what are the opportunities? You know, is there a diversity officer? Is there a diversity team or a council? You know, as if I were to become an employee, what um, opportunities would I have to participate in those activities and collectively support the organization, but also for my specific role? Like I definitely am looking for roles that I know I'm gonna have, you know, a hand in the game for this priority. Yes, I think uh, it's so important nowadays. And, and you know, it, it's kind of, <laughs> we should have been talking about it a long time ago, because I'm just thinking about, you know, for us as healthcare professionals being, you know, minorities, but what about the patients? I mean, we are caring for everyone, black, white, purple, orange, green, so diversity and inclusion should not be an uncomfortable conversation because if you have biases, you need to address those before you walk into any healthcare institution or take care of any patient. So it, it shouldn't be, I don't want to say it shouldn't be uncomfortable, but that's the lens. You're there to take care of society and society is a melting pot. So it's something that we need to talk about. And I think even for leaders really addressing their biases and, you know, if they are racist, right. 
let's work. Let's talk about, let's unpack it a little bit. Um, but, but it's something that's magnified now. And I think the pandemic really put a magnifying, um, glass on, on, you know, racism, but for me personally, um, you know, working, it was a big thing with George Floyd and and Breonna Taylor and all that. And for me, I'm like, I kind of grew up with that. Like, you know, I, I grew up seeing, police officers with their knees on people's neck, their back and, and, and rough, roughing them up. And so, so for me, it was like, and everybody was like, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay. Because this isn't new. This is, the, this is not, you know what I mean? Right. It's not. So, so I think it's something that we need to continue to talk about um, and, and really bring to light and not let it die. And, and, you know, with everything going on with diversity officers and people doing it, having initiatives, we have to talk about sustainability, right. Of these things. And I think we're really good at addressing something in a webinar or <laughs> a series or something like that, but we, we have to really have sustainable solutions yeah. when it comes to that. Yeah. It needs to be embedded into every aspect of it. Uh, organizations, operations. Um, it can't just be a flavor of the month or, you know, something that we just, oh, yep, diversity officer check, you know, and nothing else. They need to have a budget. They need to have, you know, objectives. They need to have um, reports that go up to the board. Because again, you know, overall, it's the the um, the board of directors that really have to ensure that the organization is being held responsible for, you know, what it's saying it's doing. And just in terms of, health equity on a, on a more larger scale, I mean, social determinants of health, you know, the fact that we spend so much money on healthcare, right? How much of our GDP goes to healthcare and the actual care we get in hospitals and doctor's offices only equals to 20% of our health outcomes. The other 80% is all about our social determinants of health, but there's not enough funding for that. So just from a business model, I'm like economists, like, can you please just like get it out there already? Like, it's not a good business model. We're putting in all that, we're wasting all this money when we're not addressing the root causes. We're not going upstream to, to find the source and fix it. But then we want different outcomes. That's like, that's poor business. Like, forget from a fundamental human, right? Like that, that's a given, right? Like, but not everybody agrees with human rights, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> well i'm saying right but it money. feels so wrong <laughs> well then take it to the money right because then oh okay yeah business model and return on investment right and like yeah you're you're spending all this money and you're only getting a 20 percent return on your investment for health outcomes wow yeah i mean we could do a whole episode on that <laughs> so we will definitely have to bring you back we'll have to bring you back to talk about that so i want to take you through rapid fire but i want you to tell people how they can get in contact with you and if you have any last words for our listeners yeah sure um my information is on linkedin so again please go on linkedin um so you can send me a message there connect there i love to meet people there um so feel free to visit me there and just again you know be patient with yourself um, be kind to yourself. Things take time. And that was one of something that one of my dear first um, mentors taught me. And time stands for things I must earn. Um, so, you know, be patient. There's a lot of work to be done. 
Um, and you're not going to do it by yourself. You're going to do it with a collaborative, with a team. Um, but, you know, find your fire and, and keep it, keep it burning. Oh, I love that. Things I must earn. Oh, I have to use that one. I love that one. <laughs> that was my mentor from when I was in the OR, Greg Brown. That's what he taught me. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, let's take you through a quick rapid fire. So let me know the first thing that comes to your mind to answer the question or finish the statement. So wellness means? Self-care. I know I'm stressed when? I have short patience (laughs) (laughs) when I'm snappy. My go-to stress management solution is? Laughter. Something people get wrong about me is? Hmm. I don't know. I don't really care what people think about me. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. You get what you get. And there's days where I'm on point. There's days where I'm less on point, but it's still me. So it's at that one. Yeah. You know, well, that reduces stress. If you can scratch that off your list, right? You mm-hmm. just operate. Yes. I love that. I love that. And my last question for you is one thing I learned about myself during this pandemic is. I can do hard things. Awesome. Well, Tina, thank you so much for being here with us. I really enjoyed our discussion and I hope you come back. It was a pleasure, Wendy. I love to. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Between episodes, you can follow the Nurse Wellness Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Before you go, I would love to share a free mindfulness ebook with you. Go to stressblueprint.com backslash 35 and download your free copy. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.